Welcome into another edition of Revere House Radio. I'm your host, Robert Chum. In today's episode, we'll tackle another one of our most frequently asked questions. What was Paul Revere's role in or connection to the Boston Massacre? If we can think back to the time before the coronavirus disrupted life around the world, we'd actually just commemorated the 250th anniversary of the massacre on March 5th. From the commemorations, it's clear that the massacre's legacy still lives on today and its impact still resonates strongly with individuals from all walks of life. By way of a brief refresher, on March 5th, 1770, a group of British regular soldiers fired into a crowd outside of Boston State House, ultimately claiming five lives and setting into motion a chain of events that would further deepen the divide between the port city and the powers that be back in London. It's important to keep in mind that in 1770, Boston had been occupied for two years by British soldiers who had been sent to keep the peace following the associated protests with the Stamp Act in 1765 and the Townsend duties in 1767. This was acutely felt because of how physically small Boston was at the time. Things must have been pretty claustrophobic for a town of only around 15,000 people to have two British regiments, over 2,000 soldiers with company in tow, placed in Boston. Paul Revere's business, like so many other craftsmen, had been negatively affected by the occupation. He was not overflowing with business at the time of the Boston Massacre, meaning he likely had some free time on his hands. That said, it's really a stretch to make any substantial claim that Revere was present at the massacre itself. Certainly possible, given a few factors. First, for anyone that's walked the Freedom Trail, all the sites are really close, especially when considering Boston's size at the time. The proximity of his new house, the Paul Revere House, which he had moved into only weeks before the massacre, to the location of the event would have been probably less than a 10-minute walk at the time. Revere was a man about town in the period, known to frequent the nearby Green Dragon Tavern, so it's not a stretch to think that he would have been out in the area on that cold March night. Keeping that in mind, there are no references that he was there, no reflections in any letters or after-the-fact ruminations that he was president, in a way that he did document the Midnight Ride, for instance. Now, as historians say, absence of evidence does not mean evidence of absence, But in this case, there is no way that we could say with any certainty that he was there. Further, the makeup of the crowd amongst the lower sorts in Boston with itinerant workers, young boys, sailors, and apprentices would not have been the type of company that Revere typically would have kept. As a social striver, Revere certainly could connect with those below the so-called middling sorts, but he'd always aimed upwards in his lifelong self-perceptions, so it would have been somewhat uncharacteristic for him to go down the perceived social ladder and to have been in the quasi-mob scene that evening. More important than his potential presence at the scene, however, were Revere's actions after the massacre itself. One of the most famous pieces connected to Paul Revere is the engraving he produced only a few weeks after the event, the bloody massacre perpetrated in King Street. The iconic image functioned as propaganda firestorm at the time and is pretty recognizable to most people interested in early American history today. 
While Revere's publishing of the engraving obviously speaks to his desire to boost the Patriot cause and stir dissent against the presence of British soldiers in Boston, it also speaks to the loose moral standings Revere and most in colonial America held to copyright and ownership of creative materials. Revere's famous print was actually not his own creation, or at least about 95% of it wasn't. Revere had come across a drawing by Henry Pelham, John Singleton Copley's stepbrother, after Pelham loaned his work to Revere for some reason. As time passed from the event, Revere seized an opportunity with the unpublished propaganda piece and made some slight modifications, then had it printed as the bloody massacre perpetrated in King Street before Pelham could do so. Revere did change up a few things in his print, to be fair, namely the location of the moon, some columns shown in the print, made some chimney alterations, and notably changed the custom hall sign to read Butcher's Hall. Again, subtlety, not Revere's forte. He also added a lengthy caption to accompany the print. While Revere's actions were common for the time, we know Pelham was still furious. He wrote soon thereafter to Revere and charged him with unscrupulous behavior, stating that thought he'd placed his work, quote, into the hands of a person who had more regard to the dictates of honor and justice than to take the undue advantage you have done of the confidence and trust I reposed in you. He added, quote, it was as if you had plundered me on the highway. Clearly, he's not happy, nor was he feeling generous at the time. We don't know what Revere's reaction to this retort was, as no response from him exists today. Perhaps he did respond, perhaps he settled things directly in person straight away, perhaps he simply ignored the letter as he knew there was no turning back and no reason to apologize for using his skilled medium to advance the Patriot cause. Ultimately, it seems a business connection returned between the men and families before Pelham's departure to England in 1775. Regardless of how Revere felt about the Pelham situation, we do know that the engraving was not the only depiction of the event that Revere created. Revere, in fact, drew a detailed diagram of the massacre as well, a source that was lost or rather undiscovered for 117 years until it was uncovered in the Boston Public Library by librarian Mellon Chamberlain in 1887. Revere's diagram outlines a far less propagandist picture of events, showing a spatial spread to the scene and a more balanced version of the British soldiers' formation and where the bodies were located. The diagram was likely created for use in the massacre trial. It's the type of drawing done for a particular end and use, and speaks to a pretty nuanced understanding of the situation, perhaps putting a slight tally back in the he-was-there column. If nothing else, he had a direct pipeline to sources who were and were willing to speak candidly. Revere's diagram, though, wasn't his last connection to the massacre either. One year after the fact, Revere's solemn commemoration of the massacre's first anniversary impacted, quote, thousands of Bostonians. While we often look back on the revolution and see a groundswell of action from the Stamp Act through the Declaration of Independence, there were, of course, natural ebbs and flows over a decade plus to build the United States. While 1771 is not viewed as one of the dramatic years leading to independence, on March 5th of that year, Revere made sure that Bostonians would keep the memory of the massacre and, ideally, anti-British agitation alive. Revere took personal expense to set up three illuminations in the windows of his home that captivated the city and neighborhood for one night only.
No contemporary image of the scene exists, but as an aside, it is something that we at the Paul Revere House are extremely excited about recapturing in 2021 for its 250th anniversary, so stay tuned over the coming months as our plans for it continue to take shape. The illuminations from the Revere House looking outwards on that night portrayed a clear political message, one that the Patriot leaders were keen to keep going in what was an interlude period between the massacre and the Tea Party. Revere's display put forth three scenes. First, a scene of Christopher Snyder's death and ghost, the 11-year-old boy shot by Loyalist Ebenezer Richardson two weeks before the massacre. Second, the troops firing on the crowd at the massacre itself. And finally, a personified America resisting the British with her foot on a grenadier's head while gesturing back towards the massacre scene. It must have been a haunting display, effective in its fleeting nature, and hearkening to such a bloody and dramatic moment in the confines of the city. All of this is to say, over these varying vignettes, is that Revere was quite connected to the massacre, even if he wasn't a direct participant or witness. So that'll do it for this week's episode. As always, please stay connected with us on social media and email. I'd also like to include a special shout-out this week to our 2020 spring interns, Alex Bice and Laura Rockefeller. Their completed projects are the subjects of the Revere Express blog post this week, so be sure to check them out and see the great work they did in, of course, a quite challenging distance learning circumstance. Until next time, stay safe, and thanks for listening.